This is where most people fail in living a joyful life. I call it a fab life. And where they fail is that they are so focused on the outcome that they forget to enjoy the journey. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. I have a very special guest today, a man that I met online a few years ago because of Global Woman. And um, I was fascinated right from the beginning by all the stuff he knows, but I was even more fascinated by his kindness, despite the fact that he is a famous person. He was so polite, so kind, so helpful. Well, starting off, he's a chiropractor, but then he is a healthy living expert. He is an author. He is on television all over the place. He's a, uh, a motivational speaker. I don't know what else he is, but we're going to find out in this conversation. Welcome to Most Memorable Journeys, Dr. Fatman Genie. Hi, Elizabeth. It's so great to see you again and uh, really happy to be with you. And I know every time we have a conversation, it's always uh, very special. So I'm looking forward to it. But this time is different because this time I'm the boss. <laughs> I'm not interviewing you this time. <laughs> so listen, let's start from very early times. You were born in Colombia. Yes. And you have um, an Italian, a, a father of Italian descent because Mangini is an Italian name, right? Yes. So um, my father is an Italian descent from Tivoli, which is right outside of Rome. And uh, my mother is Colombian. So we're five boys in my family. I'm number four. And I was born in Colombia, even though I've lived in Italy. And uh, we all have the three citizenships. Um, Italian and European, the Colombian, and then the U.S. now. Uh, and it was a very beautiful upbringing from the perspective of love and nurturing as far as our cultures. But it was also a difficult upbringing because my dad was struggling with alcoholism and at a very early age. And it was difficult because he had five children, one after the other, married my mom. He was only 20. She was 18. And they have five children right after the other. And uh, and that's why we moved to Miami. It's actually for him to get some care. And uh, and the good news is that after six months of treatment, he never drank the rest of his life, which was over 30 years. Wow, that's amazing. You actually did. You live in Italy. I never knew that yeah. you lived in Italy. You did. Yeah, I went to school in Rome. Do you speak uh, and, Italian? And, yeah. And then... Uh, Later on in my life, I actually lived in Belgium for a year. That was my first year of practice uh, as a doctor. I went to Belgium uh, to support a friend of mine that wanted to come to the States for a year. So I took over their practice um, for a whole year, and it was a wonderful experience. Oh, there's a lot that I don't know about you. I thought I knew everything, but uh, this is getting interesting. <laughs> You're going to discover a lot more. <laughs> I know, I know. So um, what is your relationship with Italy then today? Do you do you love it? Do you go regularly? Um, because, you know, I'm from Switzerland. It, Italy, they are my neighbors and I absolutely adore yes. Italians and I love Italy. Well, we just uh, went this summer and we love that we go usually once a year, sometimes twice, um, but primarily most for enjoyment. Um, it's nice to have the citizenship because it allows me to have the European Union component if I want to invest, if I want to work in Europe. Uh, when I worked in Belgium, 
uh, the owners of the clinic had to get me a work permit. And that was a very difficult task for them because at that time, at that time, even though it was over 30 years ago, they, uh, they did not really issue a lot of work permits. Uh, they were keeping that very restricted. And I think it's getting worse now. So it's nice because even my children, I have two boys, they have their citizenship also from Italy. And if they want to work in Italy or if they want to go to school, uh, it gives them a, a wonderful opportunity to enjoy Europe, which we absolutely love. Oh, totally. I totally agree. And uh, like my kids have Swiss and Cypriot citizenship. And um, it just, I think it opens up. I was a tour guide when I was young during the time when there was no EU, you know, and, and yes. we needed, I worked in countries, I worked in Greece and in Spain and in some, I needed a work permit and it was a whole long story. You needed so many papers and so much frustration. So the world has, uh, well, some part of the world has become uh, better. It's, this is not a political podcast, so we're not going to go into that because of course there's- So you moved to Cyprus, so that way you have paradise every single day of your life. <laughs> I do. I do. I actually love it here because, but you know what? I think life is what you make of it. It doesn't yeah. really matter. Okay. There are places which is hard where, where it's not so easy to live, but um, I love living here. There are people complaining because it's small. It's an island, you know, you're restricted, but I think you can make the best anywhere you are. It's a mindset. And you travel a lot. And I think uh, for me personally, that's what I look for. I look for quiet places because my life has got so much busyness and attention and a lot of um, noise. Uh, so whenever we travel, we try in the most quiet places we can find so we can recharge. And I think for you, that's what's beautiful about that. Plus the culture is so beautiful and the food is amazing. Totally. You mentioned something before when you were talking about Italy, you said that you mostly go there for pleasure because you travel a lot for business. But when you travel for business, do you sort of try and enjoy the places that you go to a little bit? Or is it strictly business and you just go there and you, you speak or you do what you have to do and you leave? You know, it's interesting because uh, early in my career, I've been public speaking for 35, 40 years. Um, I would go to China for one night, to Australia for one night, to Japan for one night, to all over the world speaking. And it was primarily because my children were small and, and younger. And even though we took them to many of our travels, uh, there comes a time in which they can't travel as much because they develop their own lives. So uh, for me, uh, it wasn't until as they got older that I started really enjoying. So like Karen and I really, if we have a place that we want to explore, we'll just spend you know an extra two, three, four days really getting to know the culture and understanding um, the history behind it. And that has really enriched our lives because uh, as you know, to me, traveling is one of the most beautiful things and beautiful gifts you can give yourself because you realize that this world is made up of people um, that even though we may look differently, even though we may have different religions with different cultures, different money, um, the reality is that we all pretty much are human beings and we deal with human issues every single day. Uh, and you can learn a lot about how other cultures handle the level of stresses. You know, you think about in America, right? It's so new. You don't even can conceive the idea of a World War I or a World War II 
uh, and and what that world was like in Europe. Uh, and uh, and you know when you speak with some of the people that like my home in Tivoli, uh, the war, the bomb destroyed the city. They had to rebuild the city uh, because of World War II. And, uh, and it was a challenge. And that's why my grandfather actually moved from Italy to South America, uh, because as a young man, um, there was two brothers, all the other ones had died during the war. And, uh, and he didn't want that for himself. And they came to America with no money. And they built one of the biggest uh, oil, olive oil and pasta factories in all of South America. So it was a beautiful story, uh, but it took a lot of work, a lot of perseverance. And that's one of the things that today um, I'm concerned about a little bit, because even though there's always going to be change around us and the world is changing very rapidly, um, many times uh, I'm noticing that in today's world, we seem to have a mindset of becoming victimized rather than uh, over, you know, uh, surpassing the circumstances that are facing us. You know, like in Europe, if if you didn't have an opportunity, maybe you traveled to a different country and you created your own opportunity. Uh, and you and I know many people in that perspective. Uh, in today's world, I'm finding that depression and anxiety and suicide, the numbers have gotten so high mm -hmm. because people have become victimized. So they can't see a future. They can't envision a better tomorrow. So they just want to get rid of today mm -hmm. uh, and they just want to end it. And I never really found that that was the right solution because I truly believe that challenges in our lives are blessings in disguise. They're there to help push us to become the person we were meant to be stronger, you know? Oh my God, that's a lot. <laughs> that was so beautiful, especially what you said about that we are all, we all have the same things to worry about, which is in the first world where we are, which is definitely very true. Um, and I think we all have opportunities. And the problem many times is that people just don't see the opportunity because I believe that many people don't know what they want. Because if you don't know what you want, how are you going to recognize an opportunity when it turns up? Also, another thing that you said about, you know, we, we are all the same. I, I like this phrase and I really don't know where it comes from, but I read it somewhere and I use it. I believe that we're all just walking each other home. And you know, it's interesting. Uh, I was recently lecturing in Switzerland. One of the gentlemen that was speaking was talking about the suicide rate of teenagers in Switzerland has gotten the highest they've ever seen it. And it was because Switzerland has become so expensive to live in that they don't see a future of getting a proper job, having their own home or apartment, uh, or even potentially having a freedom of financial economics that they can live the life they want. And, and really, in reality, yes, the circumstances of uh, finances are high in Switzerland, but you also at the same time see other individuals and teenagers that are thriving in the same circumstances. So one of the things I learned very early in my life is to never let the circumstances in my life define or dictate who I am. You know, many times I moved from Colombia to uh, America and I didn't have the knowledge of English. So in my school, they pushed me back two years. I lost two years of school just with the move. Mm. 
and my parents were saying, oh, this is the land of opportunity and your dad is going to get healthy and you boys are going to love it. You can become anything you want. You don't have to do the family business, you know, which all sounded great. But my beginning was going to school the second week I got here and my teacher telling me I'm going to be in fifth grade instead of seventh grade because I don't speak English. And I said, how is that possible? But the blessing was that it taught me how to be a good student. I had to pay more attention than the average student. I had to sit down and try to translate with one student in my class that spoke Spanish that the teacher paired me with. And she would spend an hour after class just going through the lessons and teaching me how to study. And because of that, I became one of the best students to the point that I surpassed her um, I became one of the best students in high school and graduated top of my class uh, with one year of college already finished by the time I graduated. So I made up at least one of the years by the time I graduated. Amazing. But that must have been at that moment when you found out that you had to go to two uh, grades down. That must have been tough. I mean, that surely was a defining moment in your life, which, uh, of course, when you look back, as you say, it's a blessing in disguise, but it's hard. You were 13. I think I read about it somewhere. So that because is you want to grow up, right? You don't want to go backwards yes. with the young ones. You want to feel oh. older. Yeah. yeah. Well, well done. That is very, very <laughs> But the good news is because I was the oldest. I became the leader of the class. And so it developed my leadership skills because the young ones were looking at me as to what is Fab going to do. Mm-hmm. So I began to recognize that leadership is a responsibility more than anything. It's a responsibility because others' lives are impacted by our choices, our decisions, and more importantly, our leadership. Um, and so even early on, I started recognizing that all of these things were okay, you know, that I didn't have to worry about it, that there was no difference if I graduated two years later or or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main thing was for me to enjoy the process. And this is where most people fail in living a joyful life. I call it a fab life. And where they fail is that they are so focused on the outcome that they forget to enjoy the journey. Yeah. And we've heard it before that happiness is not really in achieving something. It's in the pursuit of it that you become happy. Because most people, once they get what they want, it doesn't last. You immediately have to think of something else. Otherwise, you realize, oh, uh, I reached my goal. I'm now vice president. I'm now the CEO. I finally made a million pounds or whatever the case may be. So I learned very on that the pursuit of something, the journey of something, whether it's happiness, the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of a great relationship with your partner or with yourself, the pursuit of your own health, it's all have to do with the choices we're making every single day and the joy that we find in that journey of the day, rather than the outcome that may come or may not come. Amazing. That is so true. And that is something that you have to come back again to something that you said before when we were talking about, you know, work, traveling for work and and that you add a day or that you add some time and that you use it because um, there is a, a book which I never remember. But, you know, what what do people regret at the end of their lives? Because nobody regrets that they 
that they reached this goal too fast. They regret, people regret that they didn't enjoy the time that they were reaching what you were just saying now. We don't, it, it's more or less being in the now. We, we, we are very rarely, or many people are very rarely in the now and they are not aware. And in my life, uh, I've been very blessed that for the last eight years, I've mentored over a hundred CEOs, influencers, uh, very famous people. And their biggest regret that I find is sacrificing the things that matter in that journey, meaning they sacrifice their health. I, I have a client that recently sold his eighth company for $2 billion, but he lost his health along the way. And now he's struggling because he can't even enjoy all the blessings that came from that sale. Um, I have individuals that go back to their first love and the person that actually inspired them to want to be successful, yet alone to sacrifice never being home, always sacrificing family time to the point that they lost the one person that they love the most in that relationship, or even worse, individuals that tell me that one client came to me and said, I have eight businesses. They're all making multi-million dollars but my children won't even speak to me. My wife doesn't even recognize me. Uh, I need help, mm -hmm. you know? So it's important to recognize that in that journey, we have to understand our value system. We need to understand what is important to us so we don't sacrifice the things that we say we're working for. And at the end of the day, end up that our family is gone, maybe our faith is gone, maybe our relationships or even reputation is gone because of the choices we made during that journey. You know, like in the United States, we have um, uh, a statement that says that the, the only challenge with corporate America is the fact that most people that go up the ladder, they do so by pushing other people off the ladder, by, by not giving acknowledgement to the proper people that supported them by taking credit for something they didn't do, by undermining their boss so they can get in that position. And, and, um, and I always say, you know, that type of philosophy is not sustainable. Uh, what is sustainable is somebody that truly understands their value. What is important to you? So what I teach people uh, if you really want to know what your values is, because I learned this very early in my career, there's two things that really can tell you right now what is it that you value. The first one is you take your bank statements or your credit card statements for, let's say, three months, and you look at where you spend money. Where we spend our money is a value, even though we may not recognize it, but it's a value. And then the second thing is we look at our calendar and we look at the last three months and we look and see where we spend our time. So whenever I have a CEO that comes to me and I have them do that exercise, they tell me when I ask him, what are the things you value the most in your life? Oh, my family. And then I look at how they haven't actually spent any time per se with their family in comparison to their business. And then I look at their financials and I said, look at all the money that came in that month and how much of that was shared actually with your loved ones where you maybe took a trip with them. Maybe you took them out to dinner or maybe you even took them out to the movies or maybe you did an experience. Because I teach people that children 
really don't want things. Mm -hmm. They want experiences to bond with their parents. And as parents, we have gotten so busy that we think by giving them things, they will be fine. They will be happy. And we find that that's not the case. What What a child wants is to have a relationship or a experience or an exchange with their parents rather than having more toys, having more things. That is so true. And I've got two grown-up children and we traveled a lot together. And that is, we had so much fun. I mean, when we look back sometimes and, you know, the things that happened. But, you know, it's the same, as you said before, it's leadership because as a parent, you are a leader and your children will not remember what you said to them, but they will remember what you did, how you did, how you let them, how you, and also I think in all this, we all need a good sense of humor. Well, experiences in the world of science, which has been my world, we have in the brain a new science called neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. And neuroplasticity is how the brain is adapting always to experiences around us. And what we have discovered is that when you sit with a child and you, let's say you put a crossword puzzle together, or you have a deep conversation of something that is important to them, or you actually play a game together, whether it's football or, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, swimming, you know, bicycle riding, running, anything, uh, the brain builds uh, neurons that begin to create synapses and begin to create like a tree of experiences, and that is what it stays in your subconscious mind. So right now, what we're finding is psychotherapy. Let's say you go to a psychologist, and what we're finding is one of the best treatments for therapy is not to discuss so much what is going on in your life right now, the things that are making you angry, sad, anxious, uh, depressed, etc., but to go back and go back to your childhood and find out how did your parents or grandparents or your family members reacted to the similar circumstances that you're facing. And what we're finding is that those patterns that were developed by watching our parents respond with anger, with anxiety, with are the ones that are showing up much later in our lives. But the good news is that you can go back to that memory and replace it with positive things that will allow you to begin to change your behavior today and begin to change how you view everything around you and how you experience the world. And that's one of the most fascinating sciences that I'm seeing because there's a lot of people finally getting rid of behaviors that they're not happy with, that they felt like nothing was helping because they're going back to the root cause of that behavior. And that ended up being those patterns that were developed when you were raised by your family or your environment, whoever raised you. Yeah, because if you if you can't change the the root cause, if you can't change the initial conditioning, then it will always come back, won't it? Even so you back. can you can even if you can sort of, you know, sometimes I always see that when it, when I after a you know one of those events, the events that we go to, the the you you come back, you're in a state of euphoria, everything. But as long as you don't fix the conditioning, those things don't last because I see that with people who join me who who then come back and say they're going to change everything, but they won't. It doesn't last because the conditioning, the initial conditioning is still there. 
I made a note. There's something that I wanted to ask you. I don't know if it's, I think I was looking through your speeches because people can book you as a speaker. I'm going to, I'm going to put the, um, the, the website in the show notes, but um, one of your speeches is the key to happiness. What Dr. Fab is the key to happiness? <laughs> you know, that is such a good question. Uh, I mentioned a little bit early that the main distinction is not to attach the feeling of happiness to a thing, but more the pursuit of that thing. Uh, because when you do that, you realize that even though you haven't attained it, you have control of what you do today and how you think about it today, which is the only thing we can control anyway. So the happiness comes from being able to have control over who we are, what we choose to do and how we think. That freedom is what allows people to be happy. But then I, I go deeper because then I start really understanding that most people attach the feeling of happiness based on how other people value them or how other people think of them. So for instance, if you're in a relationship and your partner says to you, you're wonderful, you are so great, or you're sexy, whatever the case may be, you get excited. When somebody gives you a compliment at work, oh my goodness, Mary, you look wonderful. You know, that dress and those shoes, and it looks like you may even have lost a little bit of weight, you know, you feel wonderful. But the problem is those instances are very seldom. So I learned that from Louis Say. So Louis Say said to me, many years ago when I first met her, that I am in control of how I love myself and how happy I am. And I can't depend on anyone else making that happen. I have to make it happen every day. So she would look in the mirror when she woke up in the morning. And the first thing she would do is be grateful, right? We're grateful for breaking up another day, grateful for the bed that it was comfortable and gave her six hours or eight hours of sleep grateful for the beautiful home she lived in, grateful for having a body that can actually get out of bed and come to the bathroom and look at herself in the mirror. And then she would begin to be grateful for the things that are happening in her life, grateful for the people around her that, that she's able to love and love her, grateful for a business that is impacting the lives of over 36 million customers called Hay House, grateful for all the people that she has been able to make successful authors along the way that are now impacting the lives of so many people. So the whole idea is to, in order to be happy, you have to have that relationship with yourself first and allow yourself to make yourself happy regardless of whether somebody is there or whether somebody acknowledges you or whether somebody it does something for you that makes you feel good. The emotions must be instigated by ourselves, to ourselves, before. Now, it's wonderful that I get up every day happy and I feel joyful because that's me. And then if all of a sudden Karen or my child or my children or my mom does something special, oh, that enhances that happiness. So now I'm able to even be happier than I was, but I'm always happy because I know that happiness is a state of mind. Mm -hmm. It's really how I think every day, how I behave every day, the choices that I'm making, that's what's dictating my happiness. So 
the formula to happiness is really truly understanding that it's not an external, it's an internal mechanism. And you have control over every single day with every single choice, or even the people that you surround yourself with. I mentor a lot of children. And I always say to children, I learned a lesson from a dear friend of mine named Jim Ron that says that we become the sum of the five people that we surround ourselves with. Now, I learned that lesson when I was 21 years old, the first time I met him. And I recognized that my happiness also comes from the people around me. If I'm surrounded with people that are negative, pessimistic, always being bad, always trying to be destructful, how happy is that going to make me? But if I surround myself with people and I select a relationship in my life with somebody that seems to be or is happy, you know, or if I choose friends that tend to be happier and productive and constructive, then the chances are that I'm going to become that. But it's very difficult. And then the last lesson I learned in happiness is whenever you are unhappy, it's usually because you're in your headspace. You're thinking about things. You're maybe projecting things that are not going to go well, even though they haven't happening. So that gets you unhappy. Or you're thinking and focusing on the negative in your life rather than the positive, because we all have positive and negative, but I can choose to focus on the good things in my life, or I can choose to think of all the challenges that I'm facing. But I have both every day. You know, I deal with the challenges, but I focus my life on the things that are going well. That's, that's what sets my state of mind. So what I learned very early on in my life is that you cannot be unhappy when you're in activity, when you're doing something. When you're in activity, your action steps, you can't be in your head. So what I typically recommend people, if you're happy, why don't you go and do something kind and nice for somebody that has it worse than you? You know, if all of a sudden you have a breakup with your boyfriend and girlfriend and you're feeling really down, why don't you go and help somebody that is maybe living in the streets or maybe somebody that is living in a shelter? or maybe somebody that just got fired, or maybe somebody that you know uh, has a terminal illness and is in a hospital and dealing with some serious issues. Uh, and what happens is when you go and help somebody else being in activity, doing something, all of a sudden that unhappiness goes away. And then happiness sets in because the, the, the fact that you're helping it's already a positive activity that makes you happy. Anytime we help somebody, it makes us feel good about ourselves. And that's the reason that why giving and why sharing and why helping and why contributing is really what sets our value. I often tell people, your value doesn't come from how much money you have in the bank, what titles you have in your wallet, what accomplishments you have in your resume, you know, what treasures you have in your closet. What really your value comes from is what did you do today to help somebody else's life? That's your value, contribution. I learned that from Anthony Robbins many years ago, that if you wake up every day focusing on what are you contributing today to someone else, then your value, your happiness, your growth is automatic because now you're focusing on something positive for the world, for somebody else. And automatically, the law of attraction says the more you do for others, the more that the universe will do for you. So 
life and value and happiness is all about, in my opinion, about contribution. It's about focusing every day, not about the things that I can do for myself, but the things that I can actually do for those around me. What can I do for my partner today that will make her day the most special day? What can I do for my child today? Maybe, maybe call him out of nowhere and say, honey, why don't we just go to dinner, just you and I? You know, or, or let's go to lunch, or let's go to a movie, or let's go take a walk in the, in the park, or let's go to the beach, or whatever the case may be. You know, what about your customers? Are you focusing so much in what your customers are giving you and the money that they're paying you? Why are you really focusing on what needs that they're going through in life? Like with my higher level clients, I meet with them once a week, not because we need to, and they don't definitely need to, they're busy, we're busy, but it's because I want to hear their thoughts that week. So we have a meeting on Tuesday and they tell me what they're going through. And then my job is to try to identify things that they're not seeing that will help them accelerate their growth, their uh, solving the problem or the challenge they have in front of them, or to get to where they want to get to, maybe by connecting them with the right people, et cetera. And what I was noticing is in the early days, I didn't make that a requirement. I left it up to them. And what happened is people get busy. Mm -hmm. So even though they're paying me, they weren't leveraging me. They weren't taking the most out of me. So then we made it a requirement and then everything changed because now I felt that I have the opportunity to contribute to someone that is actually my client in a way that they don't even think is possible because sometimes they don't know what I can do until they tell me the problem, right? Oh, uh, I'm dealing with a contract right now and I'm acquiring this new company, but they put some clauses in there that I don't understand. And I don't know if my attorney is the only person. Oh, you know what? I just have two clients that exited. Uh, they probably went through the same thing. Why don't I connect you and see if they will spend 10 minutes with you? And then you can ask them that question. And then they call me back and say, oh my God, that was amazing. Yes, they told me, be careful with this because sometimes the attorneys forget to put this in the contract or the exit. And then now this has the opportunity to create this problem for you in the future. And, and that's kind of like the way I think every day. Amazing. I mean, this is Tony Robbins' phrase, isn't it? The secret to living is giving. And I mean, that is definitely so true. And I am... Um, I meant to ask you if you had met Louise Hay um, in person and you, you had. Many times. She we was. Travel, we travel lecturing together. We Did became you? Good friends, you know. Beautiful woman. Uh, I My journey, my, my sort of personal development journey started with a book, um, The Power of Your Subconscious Mind by uh, Dr. Joseph Murphy. That's the first book that I ever bought that really, I, I, I didn't know that I had a subconscious. Your introduction to personal development. I didn't know anything. I didn't know that we have a subconscious. I did. And I was fascinated. I was a tour guide. I remember I didn't sleep that night. I just read the whole book in one night. And uh, and another thing that you were saying about how you you know Dr. Wayne Dyer, if you if you ch change the way you look at things, the things you look at change, and that is absolutely what that's exactly what you were saying before, because um, it, you can always look at the things differently. Listen, time is passing very quickly. We're already nearly near at the end. I want to talk a little bit about about Fab. Where do you go on holidays? Which countries do you like? What makes you? Ha I mean, I know what you're. You're always happy, but <laughs> what is? Uh, where do you relax? Where do you go and chill? You know, it's so funny because I'm on a plane 
two or three times a, month, a week, you know, so I, I move around a lot. And, um, and I've been doing that, my mom says, as long as she remembers, you know, I always travel. If I'm in a city longer than two days, I get edgy, like I need to be on a plane going somewhere. So Karen asked me this morning the same thing, you know, in the last eight years that we've been together, she said, what was your favorite trip we've ever took? And I mm. said, how ask me that when we take so many incredible trips? So, but I will give you some highlights. Um, to me, um, in Colombia, we have a city named Cartagena, mm -hmm. which you love very much because it's similar to Cyprus in many ways, but it's a city on the coast, but it's very colonial. So it takes the culture of that whole country from the moments of the Spaniards living there, protecting the invasion uh, and, and, and trying to save uh, the country and become independent uh, as a country. Uh, it has the, the Indian traditions of the earlier days when the Indians were the ones that inhabited Colombia. So it has this combination of all this beautiful history and people and food all surrounded by the most beautiful waters and sunsets, et cetera. And it's one of our favorite places to go. And my family has a private island right there outside of it. You go on a boat by 30 minutes and there's uh, 22 islands uh, and they have one of them. So we get to rent it whenever we're down there. So we get to spend you know, a week or something in the island uh, where they have a staff that they feed you, but you have a boat and you can go around to the different islands or you can swim right there in the beautiful crystal water. So I would say Cartagena, Colombia. If somebody has not been there, you will absolutely love it. Um, another place that to me is one of the most romantic places that I recommend a lot of my, my couples to go to is uh, in Milano. Outside of Milano, you have a, a, a place called Lake Como. Mm. If you haven't been, Lake Como, it's kind of like if you're in Switzerland, it's, one, it's like uh, the lake, uh, but it is so romantic because it's a lake that is a calm lake surrounded by beautiful mountains and beautiful homes around it uh, with people that are truly appreciating nature. So the Italians in that region tend to be very calm, very relaxed. And you drive to Milan, which is only 35, 40 minutes away, and everybody in Milan is very uptight and, and very fast. Everybody's walking in the street to get to work and go to the, get their coffee very fast. And then you go here and it's completely calm, beautiful surrounding, probably one of the most romantic places that we've been. Uh, and of course, we've done all the major cities like Paris, we love. But the secret in going to Paris is not just going to Paris and taking an Uber or a taxi, but actually walking. Mm -hmm. If you walk the city, uh, you will find we will walk at least 10 to 12 miles every day. Uh, we will just put our tennis shoes and we will walk the different regions and we will meet the people. We will eat with them. We will talk to them about their culture. And I do, we do the same, whether we go to Italy, whether we go to Rome. Uh, this last time we just went to the Amalfi Coast. So we spent a lot of time in Amalfi and Positano and Capri, which we love. Uh, another place that I would say, um, uh, here in the United States, a lot of, you know, maybe some of your audience is more European, 
uh, I would say if you come to the United States, even the Americans, you know, they don't even understand sometimes how beautiful this place really is because they always end up going to the major cities like Los Angeles, New York, Miami, Dallas. They're like the popular cities. But in reality, you can go to places like Colorado where you have beautiful lakes, beautiful streams, mountains that are gorgeous, uh, animals uh, on the mountains. And you can feel in the wilderness, uh, feel extremely happy and, 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 and close to nature. Uh, if you like wine, you have Napa Valley, which is where all the wineries are. Well, Napa has grown a lot over the last few years because there's been so many people that have moved there. And it's just a wonderful little place that you can just go there and go visit the different wineries. And many of them will open themselves to you and show you the whole mechanism of how it takes to make wine. Uh, they invite you to their homes. They actually prepare a meal for you and, and combine and pair the wine with some of the, the things they give you. Uh, so we like Colorado for the mountains. We like Scottsdale uh, or Phoenix for hiking. Mm -hmm. Scottsdale is known for having these beautiful mountains that you can hike, but the, the, the views are breathtaking because they're red uh, mountains and it's just beautiful. Uh, we love the ocean, so we go a lot to Miami. We go a lot to Florida, Palm Beach. Uh, they're all beautiful places that the water is really pretty. It's warm. We love Cabo, San Lucas. Cabo in Mexico is one of the most beautiful cities you'll ever see. Uh, it's clean. The people could not be more service-oriented and happy. Uh, the people that moved to Cabo, they moved to Cabo to get away from the craziness of Mexico City and other cities in Mexico. So it's very calm. People are happy. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. It's one of our favorite places to go to. We go there often. Uh, and I could go on and on. I mean, the most important thing is this. Before you travel, ask yourself the question as to, what could I experience that's different than anything else I've done? And give yourself permission to stretch yourself. I was always a beach person because I grew up on the beach. I was raised by the beach uh, until somebody said, come to a mountain. And then I started falling in love with mountain climbing, you know, and hiking and skiing, snow skiing, and all of these things that I never did because I was always in tropical weather by the ocean, you know? So ex get yourself out of your comfort zone and give yourself permission to try something different. Some of you may say, I just, I was raised by the lake. I'm afraid of the ocean. You know, get yourself out. Maybe if you're in the ocean, try a lake. You know, maybe the lake may be a little different experience that you may like. Um, but then go to different cultures within whatever regions you want to go to and experience, more importantly, the people. The people is where the joy really comes from traveling. I always say that a place is a place, but the people is what make it special. You know, uh, we have been places where we went to Machu Picchu. We just decided one morning to go to somewhere. And that was the one flight that we could get out that morning. So we went to Machu Picchu and we thought we were going to be there four days. We ended up staying 12 days. And it was one of the most beautiful experiences because of the people. We mm -hmm. met people who were so enthralled with their history that they were teaching us the Mayan culture and how they come up with so many things that you experience in Machu Picchu. But unless you understand 
the history and you don't appreciate it. But then you also understand the Spaniards coming in and taking so much of the gold and, and the riches of the indigenous people and then uh, mixing in with them, you know, creating children of a mixture. And how did that change that whole culture? And you go from very traditional uh, history into a very civilized history. And so in Peru, you have both. You can go into and meet some of the most indigenous people that are still making everything from scratch. Do not use electricity, bathe in rivers, all of that, while you can go to a really nice hotel that has everything you can possibly imagine in a city that is full of cars and everything else that we're used to. So those are the things that we really enjoy about traveling, the people, the culture, and of course, the history. If you can understand the history, you can appreciate so much how we evolved that humanity, but it also gives you an understanding of the things we have lost along the way that maybe we want to get back to. You know, less phones every day, less computer every day, more walking outside instead of always being indoors. You know, maybe preparing a meal instead of always going to a restaurant. Those are the things that we learn when we learn about history. We learn that, you know, we come from very beautiful traditions, but we've also become civilized along the way where everything is so convenient right now that you don't want to put the effort into things that really matter. I could listen to you forever. And I, and I, I oh, forever. apart from Cartagena, I have been to all the places that you've mentioned. <laughs> and I so agree with you, especially about the US. I was a tour guide in the United States for, for uh, three, four years. And I have been to all these beautiful parks. I mean, you're talking about the city. Cities are so unimportant when you have when you can connect with all the nature of the, like New England or 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 Arizona, Colorado, everything. Anyway, it's it's the world is beautiful. We agree. I think you and I are on the same wavelength when it comes yeah. to these things. Um, I I'm going to end it here. Maybe um, is is there anything else that you would like to? I really really enjoyed talking to you. I want to thank, thank you, you for taking the time. People are listening to most memorable journeys in 121 countries. I checked yesterday. I thought I should tell you. So whoever wow. is listening and wants to get in touch with Dr. Fab Mancini, the um, the website is in the show notes. And if you can't get there in some way, get in touch with me or with him directly, because in today's world, we can always find people if we want to. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. And I, I will tell you, I will leave you with one thing. And I was speaking to Les Brown uh, about two months ago. And he says, I said, Les, what are you teaching people right now? What's, what's really important for you to tell people? And I said, and he said to me, he said, you know, Fab, if people just understand that if they want something different in 2024, they got to show up differently than they did in 2023. You will not attract something new in 2024 if you show up the same way. So go back to who you were in 2023 and recognize that if you maybe woke up late, maybe you're going to get up early now every morning. Maybe if you didn't work out, maybe you're going to start exercising a little bit more often. Maybe if you didn't eat as healthy, maybe you're going to start choosing more healthy meals. If you didn't surround yourself with positive people, maybe you're going to start surrounding yourself with successful people. So he said, whatever you did in 2023, find something different in 2024 that you can be. And then by you being different, automatically 
you will attract better things and greater things into your life in 2024. And I thought that was uh, definitely worth sharing it with you. Fantastic. Thank you. And he's definitely the man to listen to. Thank you so much, Dr. Fat Mantini. Thank you. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.